You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, as people can probably hear from our voices this week, we are fresh back from Las Vegas and UFC 276, where we attended the co-main event podcast's 10-year anniversary meetup and essentially spent the last four days just screaming at people over music in really loud rooms. Yeah. Yep. That's a pretty good summation. Yeah. And it turns out maybe we're just too damn old to be doing that because here we are a couple, couple few days removed and uh, I still sound like I've been chewing on broken glass. I still sound like uh, my diet consists mostly of gravel. I mean, what if this is just your, your new sound, the new <laughs> sound that Chad Dundas is bringing? Like when you know Spinal what? Tap went jazz. I feel like it adds some extra gravitas. So maybe yeah. it's not such a bad thing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm taking what you're saying more seriously than usual. You know, that's something. Yeah, this makes me all the more distinguished. Yeah. It sound like my vocal cords were shredded during the UFC 276 weekend. It would actually was a super fun time. People watching on the live stream video can see the championship belt that uh, was given to us by Co-Main Event Podcast beloved patrons, uh, Tracy Brand and Justin Chow, who are largely responsible for organizing the 10-year anniversary meetup. This could be a news flash for all of the people that have been listening to us for a decade, but going to hang out with 70 strangers isn't necessarily yours or my dream come true. Yeah. But I have to say that this weekend was totally effortless. Every beloved patron of the podcast, every listener of the CME that we met is absolute nails. Every single one of them is amazing. Someday we're going to meet a CME listener that we don't like, but it hasn't happened yet. Yep. And it was just an incredible time, man. We uh, we partied it up with our with our seventy closest friends at this point. Yeah, you know, it went just as well as something like that could possibly go, honestly. And if it turns out that the damage done to your vocal cords is irreversible, I still say it's worth it. Worth it for for the the good time, the amazing experience that we all had, and uh, for just the chance to eat a slice of cake that says love you both equally on it while I'm wearing a championship belt. I mean, where else am I going to find that opportunity? No regrets. No regrets from this past weekend. And of course, the jewel of it all, UFC 276 went down. Israel Adesanya successfully defended the middleweight title over Jared Cannonier in the main event. In the co-main, Alexander Volkanovsky put it to rest. He put the feud with Max Holloway straight to bed. And we'll be talking about that stuff coming up in our three rounds, uh, along with all a lot of the other stuff that happened at, at UFC 276. Remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram at CME. If you nasty right now, you can see a lot of pics from the Vegas meetup, which is that's worth the follow alone 
over yep. there on the uh, CME Instagram. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event. This show usually drops every Monday afternoon for free in your t- timelines and podcast libraries. Of course, we're a day late this week owing to the 4th of July holiday and also the fact that our voices needed an extra day to even get to this point of recovery. Uh, but if you think we're having fun right now, you got absolutely have to go check us out over on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are usually party rocking over there with three additional podcasts every single week. You can check out the Wednesday live chat, hashtag wild on Wednesday. You can check out the Thursday doing the damn thing podcast and the Friday power hour, which is an additional hour of curated MMA talk, which features the dreaded but amazingly named co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour, Power Rankings. We have three handy tiers of patronage. Jump on board, join the team. As an added bonus, sometimes we'll invite you to come to Vegas with us and hang out. So you got that going for you. Now this week, folks, you're about to depart on a camping trip. Am I right? That's correct. So this week, uh, the co-main event podcast, Patreon podcast will be on hold a little bit. I'm going to still see if I can... Uh, put some posts up over there this week, maybe some uh, some image galleries from the weekend's festivities, if I can get that together. So there will be some Patreon content happening this week, but Ben Folks is going to be out in the wilderness. You taking your children on this thing? Yes, I am. I mean, that's half the reason I'm going is get my children out there in the wilderness. Yeah, so that'll that'll be a fun time. Uh, we'll be back a week from yesterday for the, for the, uh, the next uh, episode of the proper. So, you know, things things will carry on as usual here. Uh, this week's music comes to us from longtime listener James, a.k.a. the Funk Soul Brother, a retired amateur MMA fighter and hip-hop producer living in Seoul. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at Instagram.com slash FSB Beats or YouTube.com slash C slash Funk Soul Brother Beats. And as everybody knows by now, the word soul in Funk Soul Brother is spelled S-E-O-U-L because that's where he lives. Soul. See what he did there? That's everybody knows that by now. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, in retrospect, they really didn't need to do Alexander Volkanovsky versus Max Holloway again, man. It just made people sad. But now what? Should Volk chase champ champ status? Or is the answer at featherweight right there staring us all in the face? And in round number two, not many good reviews as Israel Adesanya rolls over Jared Cannonier, but Alex Pereira made a good case that he could be the answer for our middleweight doldrums. And in round number three, two retirements in one night and a whole bunch of other UFC 276 stuff we should probably discuss. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is brought to you by NordVPN. We've been telling you about NordVPN for a while now, how it's among the fastest VPNs out there. It's an encryption powerhouse, super easy to use on all your devices. You can protect your personal information while you're traveling, while you're going from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. Now let us tell you about Nord's security bundle. Just like the CME Patreon, it has three handy tiers of patronage. NordVPN has the standard plan for your basic VPN needs. You can get the plus plan if you need a little something extra. And if you want to go for the big dog, if you want to go whole hog, you can roll over there and get the complete plan, which will take care of your every VPN need. Enjoy the leading VPN service and malware blocker. Generate and store strong passwords 
protect files in an encrypted cloud. Ben, when you were uh, traipsing around the casinos in Vegas, were you using NordVPN? Did you have your NordVPN turned on? You know I did. I know you did. My mama didn't raise no fool. I'm out there with the encryption powerhouse, Chad Dundas. It was a trick question. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main to get one free month and their exclusive 30-day money-back guarantee. That's NordVPN. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from our guy David Bergen over on Patreon. He writes, the MMA gods on Mount Zion's did something beautiful this weekend. If you don't know them or weren't looking closely enough, you might have missed it. The corners of their lips curled up in the slightest, almost imperceptible way as they smiled down on a podcast. Don't get used to it. It happens once in a lifetime if you're lucky. But that once was this weekend and the podcast was the co-main event. If some down-on-their-luck, bitch-ass casual asks you if miracles happen, tell them about the weekend a group of strangers came together in a neon town and won improbable parlays on three fights and three days of fun. The weekend, the letters CME were a victory chant. The weekend, the MMA gods gave us the win we deserved. Now, then we got to say this, man. One of the things we did for the 10-year meetup was we crowdsourced a three-fight parlay. Yep on the UFC 276 card. And that three-fight parlay was Alex Pereira, Alexander Volkanovsky, and Israel Adesanya. And baby, that bad boy hit. Perhaps the first successful three-fight parlay in the history of this show. We put nine, We took up a collection. Everybody threw in $20 they never want to see again. We collected $940 from the peeps. And when that bad boy hit, we stormed to the window like conquering barbarians with our ticket, and we collected $3,500 in winnings. Now, people shouldn't get too excited because the co-main event is going to donate that money to charity because, I mean, we're not jerks, right? Yeah. But yeah. but uh, it was, I got to say, even though, even though the money's going off to a better place, it was a hell of a feeling, man. It was a hell of a feeling to land that bet. Especially because... Now we are undefeated in crowdsource parlays. A hundred percent of our crowdsource yeah. parlays have hit. That's what what other gambling operation out there? What other sports gambling uh, insight can you get that has a better track record than a hundred percent? You can't beat that. Yeah, no such thing as a hundred and ten percent. Nope. Uh, I'll tell you what, I I took the ticket personally myself to the window there in the Cosmopolitan Sportsbook, and I was standing there in the line feeling like a real high roller until the guy right in front of me cashed a ticket for $11,000. Oh, Jesus. Do you have to take him to a special room? No, they just counted it out right there. Okay. But then uh, when I got up to the front of the line and the guy was having taking a long time making change for our bets, I was like, is this because the last guy cleaned you out with his $11,000? The... uh, you know what? Nobody nobody working at the casinos in Vegas seems to have a great sense of humor. <laughs> Man, they're dead inside. Yeah, they're not trying to. Like, he was just like, no, I got the money. One second. They're not, they're not trying to be out here smoking and joking with you rubes coming into the big city. Now, the thing I have come to appreciate about sports gambling is that even if you're sitting there and you're watching kind of a lackluster main event, yeah. one thing that can really save it for you is if. The, the knowledge that if it continues going in this particular kind of lackluster way, you will win your bet at the end. Yeah, that helps. That helps ease the pain a little bit because it, it all and it we also were, naturally just makes things more tense. Even if it is a boring fight, you, yeah. it's still you still a little bit a uh, little bit of the anxiety happening because this this is not a figurative 
mention here of the 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 letter CME being a victory chant. We literally chanted CME in triumph after Israel Adesanya won this decision because of what it meant for us in our parlay. Yeah, we were the only of- people I think that were excited by the end of that fight and in the bar that where we all took in the fights. Yeah, we were in the this VIP area at Blondie's Sports Bar down there in Las Vegas and I got to say most of the people in the VIP were CME faithful, not all of them though. And so when the uh clear-cut decision for Israel Adesanya was announced and we all erupted like we had all just won the Super Bowl, chanting yeah. CME, uh we got some looks. We did. We got some looks and people didn't understand what was happening. Well, and while not everybody in the VIP section were, were CME people, uh, the ratio got a little better once a, a fracas broke out and some yeah. of the non <laughs> between a couple non CME parties and they were shown the door. Yeah. I mean, I was just saying I've never been to a UFC and not seeing a fight. And then one breaks up at the uh, breaks out at the sports bar we were at. So, yep, there you go. Next question this week comes to us from deranged Dan who writes, people seem to love Sean O'Malley, but I find his thing of always declaring victory, no matter what happens, to be incredibly tiresome already, and he's probably just getting started with it. How much rope do you think O'Malley has if he keeps turning in these weird performances? Now, of course, Sean O'Malley in the pay-per-view curtain jerker out there against Pedro Munoz at UFC 276. This one ends in a no contest after an accidental eye poke a little bit, little bit past the midway point into round number two. Sean O'Malley, 27 years old at this point, one of the UFC's young up-and-coming stars. He had been on a three-fight winning streak since his TKO loss to Marlon Vera back in August of 2020. This one against Pedro Munoz, of course, goes down as a no contest. But I do sort of agree that if Sean O'Malley is is going to continue to go on being the new hotness that like he needs to string some wins together here and to go out against Pedro Munoz in what was a good opportunity for O'Malley to get a legit win in the UFC over a tough, well-respected and, uh, you know, reasonably ranked guy. Uh, he's got to keep collecting those wins, man, for this one to end in a no contest doesn't do anybody any favors. And I do, I, I see what he's doing. Yeah. I see what he's doing out here uh, saying he's the first man to stop Pedro and all this stuff. But I don't know, man. I I agree that it is going to get pretty tiresome if that particular angle continues to to play out before our very eyes. Right. But I mean, let's put it in perspective by being like before we say this shit keeps happening. It's kind of happened twice. Right. Yeah. He had the the leg injury that led to the, the TKO. I mean, he also had the leg injury where he won and that became part of like his lore essentially is that he was still able to hold on to win. And then a no contest due to an accidental eye poke, which can just straight up fucking happen to anybody. We know that. We've seen this happen in this sport. You're, you're posting on somebody's head as they're coming forward. You get your finger in there. They're smart enough to, to admit it when they can't see, even though they know that's going to make them public enemy number one for a little while. Uh, and then the, the fight's over. And I mean, he did string three wins in a row before this. But part of his whole deal requires him to act like he won, even as the words no contest are announced. Like, that just, what else did we expect him to do in that kind of situation? Like, that's what the character Sean O'Malley would do here. So I get it that, like, it'd be better to just go in there and straight up win these fights than to put your finger in some guy's eye and have it end without any kind of conclusive, satisfying result. But I also understand that 
he he's got a he's got a thing to do. He's he's trying to do his stuff. His stuff requires him to do his little fadeaway jump shot celebration in a semi-ironic way, and then still, you know, Peter Yawn style, put up his hands in victory at the end. Well, you say this is the second time he's done it. So I guess I will fall back on the words of wisdom of Ramona Quimby's father, who said, first time funny, second time silly, third time spanking. (laughs) You're saying Sean O'Malley is one away from a spanking right now? I mean, we've seen other people that have similar gimmicks. Conor McGregor comes to mind who go out there and do all this stuff in the pre-fight and then in the post-fight. You know, they show up uh, and they give you a little glimpse of who they really are. Chael Sonnen, another guy who did this a lot of times. And I think people found that endearing. And it, it yeah. like, if anything, it perhaps extended the longevity of these pro wrestling style characters that they adopt in the in the pre-fight. And so, I don't know, man, it's it's a little bit, there's something a little, there's something a little bit different about it that Sean O'Malley seems to uh, turn the gimmick up to, to 11 in the post-fight. Like, he's doing all the stuff in the pre-fight. Then when it's over, that seems like when he really kicks it into high gear. It could be if he is looking to endear himself a little bit more to the faithful that he should do it the opposite way. However, I will also point out in Sean O'Malley's defense i guess uh like we like we have said a couple times now we were down there at the blondies sports bar in las vegas and when o'malley was announced and came out huge pop maybe the biggest pop of the night inside this sports bar watching these fights on giant screens and a loud enough pop that i looked around surprised and this is coming yeah. from you and me live about an hour from Sean O'Malley's hometown here in Montana. If everybody, if anybody should be climbing on the tables, pumping our fists and cheering for Sean O'Malley, it should be us. And yet like this dude, this dude in, uh, uh, got such a huge cheer from the audience. I was shocked. I was shocked by it. Well, in classic MMA fashion, though, at first, everybody's going to accuse Pedro Munoz of looking for a way out. I mean, that's that's a given, right? That's what we're going to do until Pedro Munoz. I don't know if you saw this basically bullied into releasing his medical report on the Internet. You go on his Instagram. He's going to show you, hey, here's here's the report from the ophthalmologist I saw right there on Flamingo Road in Las Vegas. Uh, Abrasion of right cornea, acute right eye pain. Boom. There it is. It's I mean. I understand why a fighter feels they need to do this, why they want to show us the x-ray of their broken hand, all this stuff. It is, it seems, kind of an indictment of us, the fans and the culture of this sport, that they feel they need to do this. You know, because he knows he knows what people are out there saying. Yeah, I, it's, I don't totally understand it myself that MMA fans' first go-to move when something like this happens is to call bullshit on the MMA fighter as if Pedro Munoz does not have a career's worth of evidence to suggest that he is tougher than a $2 stake, right? That like, and it's not like he was getting, he was not like he was getting it handed to him in this yeah. fight. It had not been particularly action packed up to this point from either guy, but it's not like Pedro Munoz was in there and was like, Oh shit, stuff's going South. I need a way out of this. Like, I can't even imagine that thought process and I can't imagine it happening in a fight like this one. So like to accuse Pedro Munoz of like looking for the easy way out or faking an eye injury or something like that. 
Uh, the only word I can think of to describe it is horse shit. That's horse shit, Ben folks, that people yep. always do that to these MMA fighters who who this is their job, man. This is what they do for a living. It's crazy that you would think that they would do that. Yeah. Next question this week. I'm going to put these two together because okay. they're both about uh, the same fight. Nick Cohen over on Patreon writes, now that Brian Bar- Barbarina is officially on a Legends ass-whooping tour, who should he fight next? And then Ro Jogan, see what he did there? Yep, got wrote it. Wrote in uh, to say, is Rob Lawler BJ Penn's brother? They look alike, they aged alike. Hell, they even make me feel bad watching them alike. WTF. Now that First might be- First of all, a- how dare you? Yeah, that might be a little bit. Uh, that might be a little bit of an overstatement here about Robbie Lawler, uh, but he did say suffer eight. the second round TKO loss to Brian Barberina here in a welterweight contest at UFC 276. He and BJ Penn are both fighters with shaved heads, and that's about it, bro. Like, especially you're going to talk about how they age. Like, man, BJ Penn, the prodigy, was the guy whose whole thing was that he was preternaturally good at this shit right away as soon as he came in and seemed to be held back by his own work ethic at times also at times by his own just sort of outsized ambition that he was going to go up and fight guys like Leoto Machida uh, this quest he had to fight guys like George St. Pierre rather than just staying home and dominating his division maybe it's also not a surprise that a guy like that with uh, you know ambitions a little too big for him decides to just begin his political career by running for fucking governor. But Robbie Lawler, on the other hand, was the hard-assed, hard-nosed slugger who was maybe missing some other pieces of his game. We thought he's he's good for some knockouts sometime, but above that, he will never rise. And then late in his career, he put it together, became a UFC champion. Uh, and, you know, now he's fucking 40 years old and that Robbie Lawler stuff is still kind of tough to do. But it's not like he just got completely outclassed in this fight. No, he was was the best fight on the card, frankly. And it was a back and forth affair. And there were moments where it looked like Robbie Lawler kind of had the thing in hand. It wasn't like he just got steamrolled by Barbarina. This was a an exciting back and forth contest, man. I I mean, yeah, like Robbie Lawler got tagged. He got finished in the second round. But I didn't come away from this thing like mad at Robbie Lawler or feeling like. Uh, he doesn't have it anymore. Like he's a 40 year old man. We all know that he's going to be out there and uh, obviously he'll be a little bit past his prime as we all are, as we verge into our forties. But like, th- this is a respectable performance for Robbie Lawler against a tough dude, man. Yeah. And and you're right. Like he, he had some moments in this one where it seemed like he was about to do the old Robbie Lawler stuff where he's going to hit you, get you on queer street and then come in there and blitz you and put you away. But Brian Barberina is tough. Like we don't talk about this guy swinging on a rope onto the deck of your ship with a dagger in his teeth for nothing. That is a tough ass dude, man. And honestly, he made really good, smart use of those elbows in close where he's getting in these really close range striking exchanges with Robbie Lawler. And Robbie is doing the thing he does where he's, He's doing a good job of sort of covering up, not getting you a whole lot of clean spaces to hit. And Brian Barberina is like, well, if we're going to stand this close, I'll just throw an elbow strike at the area of your cranium and you can't cover all of it. And even if it hits the hard ass part of your head, it's my elbow, bro. I'm not worried about it. Some of those are going to get through and they're going to hurt you. And it seemed like as more than anything, more than just like the strikes hurting Robbie, it seemed like the volume of it sort of wore him down that he yeah. was he was trying to keep pace with what Brian Bar- Barberino was doing 
And it just, so he just sort of ran out of gas and then ended up giving him too many openings. And Brian Barberina still had more to give and Robbie Lawler didn't. But yeah, that's, that's just going to happen some nights, especially when you are a, a hard nosed knock, knockout artist and you're 40 goddamn years old and you have been in some of these wars, man. Like Brian Barberino is probably in middle school watching you fight uh, Nico Vitale or some shit like that. Like that's that's there's a lot of mileage on those tires. Yeah, uh, Robbie Lawler does have seven years on Barberino. Barberino is 33 years old, and we like to uh, compliment in a complimentary way, I should say, say this joke about Barberino looking like a pirate uh, swinging onto the deck of your ship with a dagger clutched in his teeth. But at this point, it does feel like he has settled down into a thing right into the yeah. UFC. He's got he's got this thing and now he's got three fights in a row including back-to-back wins over Matt Brown and Robbie Lawler. And if you were looking for uh a successor to the Robbie Lawlers, to the Matt Browns, to the Donald Cerrones of the world, it seems like Brian Barberina is here to take the baton and run with it, which is a, you know, if if you're up for it and now back-to-back fight of the night honors is sweetening the pot a little bit for him if you're up for it. It's not a bad place to be. And I'm interested to see Brian Barberina move forward kind of in that position and like kind of a stark contrast to where Brian Barberina is today and the the last couple people he has fought compared to his the early part of his UFC career where he fought Colby Covington, Leon Edwards, Jake Ellenberger, and Vicente Luque. Now he is out there, as the emailer pointed out, on a Legends ass whooping tour. And I think we found a spot for him. I think we found the sweet spot for Brian Barberina. Give me more of these fights where he's just going to give us a banger. Mm-hmm. He's going to have a chance to win. And then we give him an extra 50 grand at the end of it. Yeah. Why not? Good work got, if you can get it. I got no problem with that. Uh, last piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Scott, who wrote, UFC 276 was fun, but you know, did you notice there was no takedowns or any wrestling in the entire main card? Every single fight was a stand-up boxing affair. Was this just because of the fighters on this card? Did Derek Lewis miss a card he would have been exactly right for? Uh, I didn't notice this. Is this true? I mean, I Cannonier made some attempts. Yeah, he did. I'd taken out Asanya down. He just couldn't do it. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't notice that there was zero wrestling on any of the any of the main card here. But uh, that is an interesting thing to point out. That the, like uh, basically all we had were uh, were stand up affairs. Well, I mean, maybe it shouldn't be that surprising that you had one guy who was a great kickboxer on the main card. You get uh, Volkanovski and Max Holloway who had put together 10 rounds previous to this in which there wasn't a whole lot of grappling. Uh, you know, Pedro Munoz and Sean O'Malley got shut down kind of halfway through to the eye poke. Uh, Brian Barberina and, and Bob Lawler, yeah, okay. that That's on paper. Looks like a, a pretty striking heavy fight there. But Jared Cannonier definitely did try. And there were some moments where he had Israel Adesanya hopping around on one leg and stuff and looked like he might have a chance to bring him down, but just wasn't able to do it. One could argue... Maybe Sean Strickland would have been better off if he had thought about doing a little bit of wrestling. Yeah, uh, I, I think you're right. I think it's just a product of who we had here. You know, when you've got Sean O'Malley, Brian Barberina, Robbie Lawler, Alex Pereira, Sean Strickland, Volkanovski, Holloway, Adesanya, and Cannoneer, uh, some bungalows are going to be thrown yeah. on that mm-hmm. card. And, you know, from a matchmaking perspective, that might not be an, an accident. That could be uh, exactly what they wanted here during International Fight Week. So... I think it's a, a matchups and people involved situation. But again, interesting note. Didn't notice that as we were watching it. Yeah. 
Uh, I guess we do have one more. Do you want to take it from X rap? He wrote, I'll keep this short guys because, uh, more of you and less of me is what I'm going for. When is Kayla Harrison going to realize that she's only fighting scrubs? Uh, we have talked at length about Kayla Harrison, about her potential in the sport, about the figure that she is and or could be in MMA, and about her decision to return to the PFL after this contract, uh, I guess, mini bidding war that she had, where it didn't seem like the UFC was going to cough up the proper dough. And then Bellator and the PFL kind of went back and forth a little bit. And and PFL, I believe, made a matching offer is how it went down. And uh, she returned there. And first of all, I don't think Kayla Harrison is probably under any illusions of what is happening over in the PFL. Yeah. Secondly, uh, I think she made the choice to go back and fight there for the, for the most money, the most money that she could get. And that is not something that we would ever begrudge a fighter for doing get that bag Kayla Harrison frankly well you can but thirdly I think both you and I have acknowledged that in some ways because of that contract renegotiation because she became a free agent and and uh you know uh uh flirted with the idea of going to the UFC dabbled with the idea of going to Bellator and then returned to the PFL it does feel like there's a little bit of diminishing returns now with these Kayla Harrison fights, because we know what the score is going to be over there in PFL. And I don't really think it's anybody's fault, man. There's just not a lot of, of women in the world who could come in and like compete with Kayla Harrison, especially at weights where there isn't a lot of depth, a lot of weight classes that don't, the uh, weight classes that don't have a lot of depth, I should say. Uh, so I don't necessarily know that it's anybody's fault. And I don't think you can fault Kayla Harrison for wanting to collect giant million dollar checks for relatively easy nights of work. That yeah. said, from a, from a purely fan perspective, I get it. It's not super engaging to watch this stuff happen anymore. Yeah, and you're right. All that stuff that you said is true, that it's hard to blame her for going and getting really good money for really easy fights. I mean, that that's the dream, right? Like, that is the, the MMA fighter dream. Easy fights, big money. Yeah, that's the Chael Sonnen plan, right? Yeah. Easiest fight for the most money. And yet... It does get a little grating when she's showing up with like her legend killer shirt on and shit like that. Or I saw her comments in response to, you know, she's up for the SB uh, best MMA fighter award. And she's like, you know, just because of show, I'm really like leading this charge and spearheading this change in the sport. And you're like, calm down, calm down. What you were doing is you've been nominated for an award by the network that has a vested interest in the promotion for which you are the biggest name fighter. Like they, they have a reason to put you up there and it's not because of what you have actually done in the fight game. Cause you haven't really haven't had a chance to. And I understand that's like, Hey, she was looking like she might go elsewhere. She was looking at the opportunity to go elsewhere. They got the matching rights clause in the contract. They said, whatever they'll pay you, we'll pay it. And you're kind of stuck then. Then that's how the contract works that you, you know, you end up back there in the same situation, hoping they can get you some big super fights for whatever pay-per-views they, they keep talking like they're going to put on. And a lot of that is not your fault. But if you're going to go around acting like you have established this incredible dominance and that you are out here smashing legends when you're, you're beating a bunch of people who are essentially warm bodies, people are going to push back on you eventually. People are going to get kind of sick of that that gimmick. Uh, you can work with that. Kayla Harris is pretty savvy. Like she, she knows how to turn that and like, hey, if it's making you mad, I'll okay, I'll lean into that. If especially if I don't have any choice, in uh, especially if it's not like I can just go sign the cyborg fight myself, 
You know, fine. I'll, I'll work with that. I'll make you mad. I'll give you a reason to care. Uh, I don't blame her for doing any of that, but it is, it is going to get tiresome the longer it goes on. Yeah. Uh, Kayla Harrison is 32 years old. She has five, six, seven, eight years left probably before she starts to visibly or noticeably slow down. I don't mind if she wants to go get a couple extra million dollar payments, take those giant checks, put them in her giant handbag, drag them down to the bank, use a giant pen to sign them, put yeah. them in her giant account. I don't giant care. ass pen, giant ass little metal cord attaching it so you don't walk off with it. Yeah, she has to go to the big bank. Mm-hmm. You got to go to the extra large bank to take those checks. The tellers uh, are 10 feet tall. <laughs> if she wants to do that a couple times, I don't care. And I think that there's still plenty of opportunity for her to wind up fighting good people in larger organizations. And then maybe we will see where this train eventually pulls into station. Yep. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. Thanks everybody for your questions, comments, and concerns. If you want to air those two episodes of the podcast in the future, you know how to do it. Get in touch with us. Go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you right into our inbox. As for right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, nobody wants to see bad things happen to either Max Holloway or Alexander Volkanovsky. But Alexander Volkanovsky went out there in the co-main event of UFC 276 with the men's featherweight title on the line against Max Holloway and kind of wore Max Holloway around like a hat. This one was not competitive. Alexander Volkanovsky was faster. He was stronger. He hit harder, and he was better in the brief clinching situations than Max Holloway was. He was, in fact, better in all phases of the game than Max Holloway, which is a hell of a thing to say when the man standing across the octagon from you is, in fact, Max Holloway. And as we have mentioned numerous times, we were at the Blondie Sports Bar in Las Vegas. Uh, I should stop saying their name because they're not paying us nothing. Uh, But when I walked out into the into general population, into the room of the bitch-ass casuals yeah, where, the, where they had seats set up in a like a theater and people were in there watching. This was in the middle. This was before the fourth round, I think, of Volkanovsky Holloway. People were sad, man. It was quiet in there. People were sitting in their chairs, angrily shaking their heads. And obviously, you can't hate on Alexander Volkanovsky for just being the best in the world. But like people really genuinely like Max Holloway and it was a bummer to see him get beat up like this, man. And it was it kind of left me the impression, as I said at the top of the show, like, honestly, we didn't need to do this one again, man. I understand what would lead you as a as a fight promotion company to put this thing together again. I can understand why Max wanted to do it. I can understand why Hall or why uh, Volkanovsky would agree to do it. But we didn't need to do this one again. And that was probably the point Alexander Volkanovsky wanted to make. And mission fucking accomplished, dude, because he looked unfucking real in this fight. Yeah, I mean, I will say it did effectively put the matter to rest for good. That in a way that if you had just moved on and said, okay, they had two close fights, the second one 
obvious are arguably closer than the first one. You go to a, a split decision. And if you had Max Holloway still hanging around at the top, beating other featherweights, I could see how like there could be people still asking the question. After this one, though, they can't. It's the all doubt is removed after this one. So to that extent, it did serve its purpose. And it really convinced me, like just watching Alexander Volkanovsky through this fight, he's just like, man, this dude is so fucking good. And especially in this fight, you could just see it. Like you could see how confident he was and just knowing there's, there's nothing this guy is going to do to me in here. Uh, Max Holloway did not win a single minute of that fight. And to his credit, Holloway, you know, if they booked that thing for 10 rounds, Max Holloway would have taken a 10 round beating in that fight. They book it for 15 rounds. He's going to take 15 rounds worth of a beating, but he's not going to get any closer to beating him, I think. And uh, I like it did serve as sort of a, a spotlight for Alexander Volkanovsky to show that he is one of the pound for pound best in the world. And honestly, beforehand, if you were talking about Alexander Volkanovsky moving up to lightweight to challenge for a belt, I would have kind of had a groan and been like, oh, this, this again, another champion who's going to, uh, his thing is going to be moving up and wait and challenging for another belt. Uh, you know, feels like we've seen it an awful lot. We've heard that. And yet after he goes out there and just beats the brakes off Max Holloway, who himself probably still beats probably everybody else in the top 10 at featherweight right now, it did kind of convince me like maybe that is the thing to do, or at least it's worth a shot. At least it's worth, worth sitting down to watch, see what happens, you know? It is an interesting idea, and I'm not going to begrudge Alexander Volkanovsky for wanting to do that. And eventually, I think that might be the right move. I guess my only question is, do, do we do that now when you don't you don't have a champion right now up at 155, right? You got uh, uh, Charles Oliveira, who is uh, tweeting out of both hands. On his right hand, he's tweeting at Habib, and on his left hand, he's tweeting at Connor. And we got a bunch of uh, of contenders up there who could also get that fight. And so I I think, you know, it might serve the division to wait until we at least have a champion crowned at 155 pounds before we, we start trying to do some champs champ stuff. Cause I think you want it to be as official as it can be before you start running that stuff out there. Uh, and obviously who becomes the champion if, if Oliveira retains the title or if something crazy happens where, Habib did come back or Connor did fight him. And one of those guys did win. Then you got a mess on your hands. Cause I don't think uh, Connor McGregor is going to want to fight Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, maybe, I don't know, but well, let me throw this at you. Did you see Uriah Faber out here in the media talking about the treatment of Josh Emmett yeah. at UFC 276, like basically talking about how their camp, kind of expected Josh Emmett to get the red carpet treatment at UFC 276. He comes in uh, fresh off this win over Calvin Cater. I believe he's the third or fourth ranked men's featherweight at this point, right behind these guys that Alexander Volkanovsky has already beat. He's got five wins in a row. Actually, you if you look at the career of Josh Emmett, it's much better than you might assume if you haven't looked at it recently. Like this guy is... 
uh, 18 and two overall. He lost really early in his UFC career to a split decision uh, to Desmond Green back in 2017. And then in 2018, he got knocked out by Jeremy Stevens at a, uh, a UFC on Fox event. Other than that, it's all wins. And other than that, it's all wins over tough guys. The, the current win streak is Michael Johnson, Mirsad Bektik, Shane Burgos, Dan Ige, and Calvin Cater. Like that is a respectable run of wins for Josh Emmett. The guy also fights in a hard-nosed, exciting fashion that I think people should like. Like I said at the top of the show, is the featherweight answer staring us in the face? Are you interested in Alexander Volkanovsky against Josh Emmett? Um, I I guess if they booked that fight next, my response would be, okay, that's reasonable, but it doesn't exactly set my hair on fire. Yeah, I think part of the problem, I, I understand Ryan Faber and Josh Emmett them being kind of upset with their, their treatment by the UFC because thinking like, hey, here you got the guy this this fight. You got a chance to set something up for what's next. You know, you had Alexander Volkanovsky telling the division to get their shit together. He goes out there and wins a big fight. Uh, maybe this is the opportunity to to start thinking about the future here. And instead, you're sticking Josh Emmett up in the rafters and uh, forgetting he's there, basically. But I could also see how somebody says, "Well." You won that fight with Calvin Cater, but not everybody thought that you deserved to win it. It's pretty yeah. close. Really could have gone the other way, too. So it's not as if you come in here with a mandate that cannot be ignored, you know? And honestly, could you get more people excited about Alexander Volkanovsky moving up a division after he has so thoroughly demonstrated his dominance? Probably. Because... Volkanovski versus Josh Emmett right now is sort of a it's an also ran kind of title fight. It's a, it's yeah. the number two title fight on a two fight card like that. And Volkanovski going up and wait to try to be a two division champ is automatically a big deal. Now, the argument, I think, against it is not that Volkanovski has too much other shit to do at featherweight, even though there's a ton of good fighters there. It's that lightweight has some shit to sort out. Before Alexander Volkanovsky gets, goes up there, it gets involved in the picture. Lightweight has a bunch of different options of what, what it can do uh, to get its own shit together. And Volkanovsky kind of throws a wrench in that. So yeah. I could see that argument against it. I can't see the argument being like, well, Josh Emmett cannot be denied at this point. Right. Sure, he could. And he I could think, be denied a little bit longer. <laughs> I, I don't. I think you're right about that. I mean, I, as an addendum, I would say. Uh, heaven forbid the UFC takes a guy off a sketchy split decision win and puts him in a title fight. Like, we've never seen anything like that before. <laughs> uh, but, like, the, to me, the Josh Emmett thing is yet another example that perhaps the UFC promotional ladder has broken down. That, like, because this company is not even really in the business of promoting cool fights anymore, uh, if this had happened a decade ago or whatever, we would be more hyped about Josh Emmett right now. But because, the, like, you know, the 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 calendar is what it is and the schedule is what it is and and uh you know so many fights are immediately forgotten and guys slip through the cracks like i agree that josh emmett seems a little bit like a lackluster b-side for an alexander volkanovsky fight but i don't think that's his fault i think it's because like he you know the ufc's not really promoting guys that way anymore and so uh if this had happened a while ago we would all be geeked about josh emmett but we're not and that's that's not anybody's Fault, And I do think Alexander Volkanovsky would be a super interesting addition at 155 pounds. It just seems like we might need to wait a minute to see how that current logjam kind of plays out before we know where he would be useful or be handy or fit in on that, you know, already very competitive division. Yeah. 
Hell of a performance from the guy, though. I just want to say yep. that one more time before we wrap up. Can't say enough about how good Alexander Volkanovsky has become. And uh, it was an amazing performance out there against Max Holloway this weekend. Uh, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Well, Jed, I know you saw Uriah Hall go out there, lose a unanimous decision to Andre Munoz. Pretty, pretty one-sided there. Now, Uriah Hall going to get on, I believe, the Instagram afterward. Here's what he has to say about his fight. The fight gang can be beautiful, but also massively brutal. The shittiest part of the sport can also be the necessary part of growth. I must celebrate my win, but also learn from my losses. Most importantly, I can't wait to tell my kids I got my ass kicked and kept on coming. No one hits harder than life, and I am still standing. So all, you know, kind of standard, but, you know, positive and semi-inspirational post-fight stuff so far. And then... Yeah, we I'm pivot. on board so far. We pivot it, to congrats, is there a swerve? congrats to black belt jujitsu champion Andre for not even being able to submit a blue belt. I would have held on for dear life as well. Um, kind of like sleepy emoji uh, or like just eyes closed emoji. Your boring plan worked and you won the decision. LOL. All good. On to the next. Bro, are you fucking kidding me with this? That's what you're going to do. You get, we're all, it's all inspirational, positive stuff. It even starts out the, the sentence with a congrats to black belt jujitsu champion, Andre. And you're thinking like, all right, class in defeat. And then, oh no, you can't even submit me a, a blue belt, boring ass game plan. Just held on for dear life, bro. <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? We're still, we're, we're still out here in the year 2022 getting dominated on route to a decision loss and complaining that the other guy just held on to you because he was so terrified of you. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Fucking kidding me. Remember how I was saying uh, a couple weeks ago that at this point we have reached uh, a juncture in MMA where if someone does something recognizably bad, that if, if there is a current societal villain that we've gotten to the point now where I'm like, who in MMA is going to shout out this person? Who is yep, going to be like... I do recall. Shout out to my good buddy, this person, whoever one thinks is a villain. Uh, it's possible that I missed a couple, but I couldn't help but notice the celebrities that the UFC put up on the on the screen during UFC 276 included, but perhaps weren't limited to Mel Gibson, Chris Pratt, and then the entire McMahon family, including mm -hmm. Vince McMahon who very recently had to step away, publicly step away from his duties at the WWE because he was accused of some pretty heinous shit as the, uh, as the head honcho over there at WWE. Are you fucking kidding me? We really got to do this every time. There's really got to be a, a, a society villain. And we're like, oh, this guy. Yeah, definitely bring this guy. We'll put him on the screen at the UFC. Absolutely. Is this something PR people know that they're like, oh, if, you, if your guy's in trouble, if there's been some bad press recently, get them tickets at the UFC and they'll put them up on the Jumbotron as if nothing has happened. You yeah. fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me with this shit? It's almost as if they will decide that they like you because you're in the news for some bad shit. We could have just had Hunter and Stephanie up there, man. That would have been good enough. Didn't have to have old ass Vince even sitting there. But there he is. With no shame in the world, just sitting there grinning it up at the UFC. Vince McMahon is here. Are you fucking kidding me? We don't have to keep doing this, you guys. We seriously don't. But we will. That's going to go for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. 
Well, Chad, I don't know if anybody is going to remember the USC 276 main event as the best goddamn time they ever had watching a mixed rules fighting event. However, it does seem like we've set up some good future business here for the UFC just because you have Israel Adesanya coming out with another solid yet pretty ho-hum defense of his middleweight title, and then you have his old kickboxing buddy, Alex Pereira, going out there and in just a satisfying turn for a lot of people in the MMA world, just putting it to Sean Strickland with a first-round knockout. Shit was clean, bro. (laughs) Yeah. Sean Strickland just stand there, gets caught with that left hook, clean on the jaw. Uh, I didn't catch it until they showed the replay, how Pereira, he he clips him with the right hand uh, to to set him falling backwards and then goes ahead and clips him with another right hand while he is mid-fall. That's accuracy. That's what that is. Referee has the good sense to get in there before he has to add some hammer fists on a completely out-of-it Sean Strickland who gets up, attempts, and then brutally fails the what-the-fuck test. An extended what the fuck test. Like he walked around. It was this is like a what the fuck essay exam. He walked around the cage for a good two minutes making a face like they didn't have to stop it. What was that all about? But we was like, Sean, we just saw it, bud. You, you still can't. You can't even really stand up under your own yeah. power. He's wobbling around trying to act like they shouldn't have stopped it. I did see him come out later and to his credit, accept that loss and be like, I'm going to be sad for a while. Uh, so yeah, I guess we got to hand it to him for that. Let's talk just for a second about Israel Adesanya before we bring Alex Pereira into this. Uh, and that is like, it does feel like he has gotten so good at this shit that he is out there kind of in third gear, never quite putting the Ferrari into overdrive, just cruising and beating these guys. And when the best part of your performance is uh, the Undertaker walkout, like that's not totally what you want, even though yeah. the Undertaker walkout was totally epic and in it my was. opinion, the greatest moment in mixed martial arts history. Uh, but like at this point, <laughs> there is a wide gulf, right? Sometimes there is a wide gulf between Israel Adesanya as advertised and Israel Adesanya that shows up in the cage, especially to fight Jared Cannonier. Now, there was probably a lot of uh, extenuating circumstances around that. Jared Cannonier is a dangerous dude. You probably don't want to mess around too much. You get you get clipped by Jared Cannonier, you might be in trouble. I also like to say, as I've said numerous times on this podcast over the years, that when the fights are real, when the sporting contest is legit and on the level, sometimes it's just not going to be good. Sometimes it's just going to be boring. Sometimes you're just going to have a, a lackluster fight. And, the, the you know, that's the kind of thing that is uh, the reality of having an actual sport. But I kind of like I, I don't necessarily fault Israel Adesanya for these kind of performances. But I also I like I, I see the criticisms and I sort of I nod along. I think, yeah, like this is a dude who seems like he's good enough to dispatch all of these people. And he's out there kind of, you know, cruising around in a middle gear without really putting the hammer down ever. Now, I would also say I saw Eugene Behrman come out and had a quote that was basically like, yeah, these guys are fighting because they care about their they're fighting this way because they care about their brain health. And years later, they want to still be able to enjoy their lives, which, hey, man, you know, again, more power to you. Like, do do what it takes to uh, to do that. Uh, but that I don't think that necessarily like deletes the criticisms from people who pay money to watch these things either. It's just like a, it's a tough situation, I think, with Israel Adesanya right now. It is a tough situation. I mean, you're right to point out that uh, The Undertaker had the advantage of knowing what we we're going to do once we got out there. So, you know, 
his his walkout pairs better with the performance a little bit. But he's kind of got a little bit of that Anderson Silva in his prime problem where we think you're so good that we think you could do more than this if you wanted to. And you just don't want to or you don't want to enough. But then it also feels like we need to at least spare some of the criticism for an opponent in this situation because Jared Cannonier had to know he's losing that fight and he didn't exactly throw caution to the wind and be like, I got to find some way to get to this guy, which it seems like that's what a lot of Israel's uh, Israel Asanya's style is, is outpointing you, picking you apart, making you get desperate enough to give him some openings. And then he can finish you. He doesn't necessarily have that big one shot power that can just come in and take over no matter what you're doing. He needs you to give him some of those openings. And, one of the ways he does that is by being so just sound all around that you've got to take some risks if you want to have a chance at hurting him. And Jared Cannonier never really got there. You know, there was a couple moments where he's swinging a little bit wilder and and Israel Asani is making a miss and you could argue, okay, he's, he could do more with those opportunities, but Jared Cannonier seemed like he also got sort of put in a comfort zone there where he was like, well, I'm not winning, but I'm also not getting my face beat in. And I guess I will accept that. And yeah. so, like, he he gets, he should come in for a little bit of that criticism, too. And I also just feel like as much as we are going to complain when somebody is not making it as exciting as we think they could or not doing the absolute most that we think they could, we would not spare a whole lot of sympathy for him if he did go out there, try to do more, fucked it up and lost. Yeah. If he got knocked out, lost his belt, we wouldn't be like, but hey, man, we appreciate what you were trying to do for us, the fans, <laughs> and giving us a good show. We're, that's not how we roll, man. He's smart enough. He, Israel Adesanya is a fan himself. He knows this community. He knows how it works. Uh, the It's not a door that swings both ways there. So yeah. it is the smart thing to do to go out there and get your win however you can and think about your longevity a little bit. Yeah, there was a point in this fight when I leaned over to you and, and said that uh, Jared Cannonier needs to make this more of a brawl. He needs to this needed to be more of a put your hands on him, Scotty, punch him in the face, Daryl kind of performance from Jared Cannonier. Now, that said, I still probably wouldn't have won. But uh, but like it seemed like if he was going to have his moments, that's where they were going to come. Is it is Alex Pereira the antidote to all this stuff, though, because it does seem like he is coming along now at exactly the right time to be a contender for Israel Adesanya. We're talking about a man, Ben, who has the word kickboxing tattooed on his lower oblique. As I said to you over the weekend, you know, that's something we see a lot in jujitsu. In jujitsu, the people who are really good at it are nice enough to walk around in a T-shirt that says jujitsu on it, Mm -hmm. which is like uh, like when a poisonous insect is bright red in color like when the uh the uh the black widow has the red hourglass thing on its back to warn you that's what the jujitsu shirt is that's what that says you and the kickboxing tattoo which we see a lot less of is the same thing and is positioned on alex Pereira's body in such a place where he could probably just pull his t-shirt up and say you don't want this smoke (laughs) to anybody who would try it love to see the kickboxing tattoo and I don't know that Israel Adesanya's thing that he does, like what did we just watched him do against Jared Cannonier. I don't know how well that plays against Alex Pereira, man. Yeah, especially because Alex Pereira is a big dude for the weight class. I mean, especially in contrast to Sean Strickland, you could really see it. I mean, he's like a like Israel Adesanya, 
like walking around here is like a six foot four inch, but still pretty solid and rangy at the same time, middleweight. And so there's one advantage that Israel Asanya is used to having over a lot of these guys that he wouldn't have over Pierre, yeah. right? Like he's Israel Asanya can do that shit all day against 5'11", six foot tall middleweights like Jared Cannonier and, and Bobby Knuckles. He, it's going to be a lot tougher to do when you're dealing with a guy who is a really good kickboxer, stand-up striker, who is also about around the same size as you. And it's not like, like Israel Asani can say this stuff like, hey, this is a different sport. This is not kickboxing. This is mixed martial arts. It's a different thing. True. Very true. You know, uh, we're out here. We're in the small gloves. There's a lot more uh, opportunities, uh, more stuff that you can try to do in there. But it's not as if Israel Adesanya has shown us that, like, hey, I'm going to exploit this guy with my double leg. Like, I'm going to go in there and it's going to be my wrestling that makes the difference. Like, that has been a part of his game where his wrestling is mostly anti-wrestling. Uh, he's and he's gotten good at that. He's tough to take down, tough to hold down, unless you're a big guy like Jan Blahovich. Um, But he's not necessarily shown us that he has a whole lot of offensive grappling that he could bring to bear against a guy who might be better at the thing that he is best at, yeah. you know, like I, it, and, and it is a really interesting matchup. Like for the UFC setting up future business, it kind of couldn't have worked out any better. Israel Adesanya gets another lackluster win. People are going, mm, he's good, but we're, we're either sick of this guy or we're ready to see him tested. And then an old rival rises to knock out somebody who is going to bring a lot of attention to the fight prior to the bell. In Sean Strickland, gonna gonna go out there and steal the show for you at the press conference, but in a way that also makes you kind of want to see him get knocked out, and then Pierre is gonna deliver on that inside of one round, and people go, okay, we don't even need to talk about what to do next. You know how people love to run those articles for it. What's next? For this, we don't even need to have the discussion. We know, we know what's next. It's this, and people are gonna be interested in it. It does feel like the perfect matchup at the perfect time. Sometimes this sport struggles to replace dominant champions, but it is clear that Israel Adesanya is that dude to come along and carry the mantle for Anderson Silva at 185 pounds. And now he's got the perfect nemesis, man. He's got the perfect foil in Alex Pereira, and it's going to be a very, very interesting fight. And like I said, happening at the perfect time. I kind of can't wait. I'm kind of pre-hyped about it. After just watching this UFC 276 card, I'm pre-hyped now about Israel Adesanya and Alex Pereira. Give it to me. It's mine. Can't wait for it. All right, that's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, Donald the Cowboy Cerrone took the gloves off in the cage after a second round submission loss to Jim Miller on the preliminary portion of the UFC 276 card and called it a career. We thought that he would stick around for a couple more fights. That seemed like it was going to be his plan to get him to an even 50. But at this point, he said this is something he's been feeling like doing for a while, maybe all the way back to before his UFC 246 loss to Conor McGregor in January of 2020. So in some ways, I guess we should probably not be surprised that the Cowboy, at least for the time being, has embarked what I've in what I have seen on our official Discord referred to as his first retirement. Uh, <laughs> I guess, first of all, this seems like I don't even know how seriously we should take this, obviously, because MMA retirements in general are, are transitory. And when you're dealing with a dude like uh, 
like Donald Cerrone, it's hard to imagine a life of his without prize fighting. So I guess my first question for you is, are we dealing with a situation where 18 months from now, Donald Cerrone is out there uh, making good on the Joe Lazon fight or something like that? I mean, I I cannot sit here and tell you that I am 100% confident that Donald Cerrone never does any sort of professional fighting ever again. You know, that's just, I know better than that. I, I, I do the math on this one and I come up with, let's say there's a chance that Donald Cerrone fights someone. I though I also, though, when he says, I don't love it like I used to, and I, I was feeling like it was probably time, even going back a year or two, I believe him. I yeah. believe that, that that is true, that he feels that. Now, as time passes, maybe you start to feel differently. We've seen that happen before, where especially you take some time away from the sport, your body starts to feel a little better. Maybe you're in the gym just sort of messing around, and you go, oh, hey, wait a minute. Now everything is better now that I'm not beating the shit out of myself so regularly anymore. Maybe I can still do it. Maybe a little time away makes you miss it, and then the you at least feel like you might love it again, or there's a chance for you to love it again. So that that is all subject to change. But I also think that the stuff he was saying, it rang true, especially when you look at how he's been performing and how he's been approaching the sport, that it, yeah. it has not seemed like a guy whose heart is still on fire for it, which is sort of inevitable after so many years and so many fights. Yeah. And it goes without saying the guy's a, a first ballot UFC Hall of Famer. If such a thing existed, he's a no brainer pick to put his photo up in the hallway at the uh, UFC offices. You know, the the. The metrics or criteria that they use to put people in the UFC Hall of Fame are are cloudy sometimes. And, uh, you know, Donald Cerrone would never really a, a, a high level UFC champion, but at the same time, super popular guy. And as we said, you know, at the time that it happened was one of the first people to come out and like make himself into a character. In fact, we were talking about The Undertaker earlier in the show. Years years ago, I compared Donald Cerrone to The Undertaker because I was like, these two guys, they're guys who don't need the title, man. That yeah. was always the thing about The Undertaker. like, you didn't have to have him be the champion. He was a huge draw all on his own. You could just put him into whatever feud, whatever match you wanted him to have, and it could have made it a main event at a pay-per-view. You know, Donald Cerrone was sort of this, of a similar guy. Like, he didn't need the title. He just like, would show up all the time and fight people. People knew it was going to be exciting, an exciting fight. He had the Budweiser sponsorship back in the day. He had the big cowboy hat. He all had the whole persona. And it just worked, man. It was just, it just worked. He was, he made himself into a recognizable, bankable figure in this sport, which has gotten nothing but harder to do over the years. And so I think we got to give him credit for that and that alone i think is good enough to get him in the ufc hall of fame where we're not ex not exclusively uh, uh judging people on wins and losses and championships like that just as a figure in the sport in the ufc he is important enough to get into the hall of fame obviously a guy who said a bunch of shit that i disagree with personally over the years uh but you still i think you got to recognize the uh the figure that he was in the sport when he talks about how he wants to go be a movie star, I get a little bit concerned. Mm -hmm. I start to think I would love to see you have a, a, a fallback, Donald. <laughs> I would if if movie star is your reach, I would love to see you have a safety. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I would love to be a movie star or open a sandwich shop. In between yeah. roles, own a sandwich shop. 
Hell, man, we just Cowboys saw Felice Herrig. We just saw Felice Herrig retire like three weeks ago, and then I saw today she's signing with BKFC. So we know how these MMA retirements go, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with Donald Cerrone. And somewhat, I guess, lesser news, Jessica I also called it quits uh, in the cage after her loss to Macy Barber at UFC 276. Uh do, do you have any thoughts about Jessica? I walking away. She seems like a person that uh fan, the fan base has given a lot of shit to, mm-hmm. you know, on this show, she was a frequent contributor to master tweet theater uh, because some of her, some of her tweets were, yeah. were funny. Sir Nigel Longstock liked to read those. Uh, but then when I see her talk every time, I always think like, man, Jessica I seems like a really nice person. Yeah. I mean, I'd say for her appearances on master tweet theater, she, she did that her own self. Um, but yeah, you know, who I wondered about was fellow we talked about already, but Bob Lawler in that you're Robbie Lawler. You're sitting here, you're 40 years old. You watch what 38, 39 year old, uh, Donald Cerrone, who has been sort of a peer of yours. He, he folds up the gloves, puts them in the cowboy hat in the center of the ring afterwards. Jessica, I 35 years old says she's hanging it up. You go out there, you lose one. You're older than both these people. Yeah. And uh, you've been, and you've been you in that shit. you were there first, too. Yeah. Uh, do you go, oh, whoa. Is, is it time for me to start thinking about that hoagie shop? You know? I mean, if you're Robbie Lawler, you're probably already thinking about it, though, right? Well, I'd hope you're at least considering where we go from here. But uh, it's an, on a night like that where you see, you see some peers who are younger than you hanging it up and deciding, you know, we can't do it anymore. And you've been in there in those trenches for a long ass time. Uh, it should at least give you some pause, at least give you something to think about. Yeah. Although if you're Robbie Lawler, probably taking the extra 50 G's that you got from your fight with Brian Barberina and folding it up and putting it in the pocket of your quilted flannel shirt or in the back pocket of your Iowa cut Carhartt pants. Uh, that's probably, you know, that, uh, you probably think, Hey, maybe this ain't too bad. Maybe I come back for one more of these, get another 50 G's. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Probably the two best performances on the card that we did not talk about on this show. Jalen Turner defeats Brad Riddell in 45 seconds uh, via guillotine choke that he just he basically just blitzed him. Just he just blitzed the guy. Uh, and then, of course, Julia Storley Aranko armbar Jessica Rose Clark in the first fight of the day in 42 seconds. You get an armbar in 42 seconds in the year of our Lord 2022. That's pretty stinking impressive. And also a shout out to uh, the fight between Brad Tavares and DDP. Yeah, that was also a, a pretty good one as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, I don't know. Did you did you see Jessica Rose's Jessica Rose Clark's comments about the, the arm bar afterwards? I did not. I have to say I did not. Um, I have it right here where she notes uh, uh, she posts to Instagram afterwards and says, I just got back from the hospital. I'm probably going to need surgery on my elbow. She did a really good job of continuing to arm bar me after I tapped. But that's fine. It is what it is. Um, I mean, hey, bro, her job is to crank on that submission until the referee says stop. Puts her hands on her, tells her, tells her it's over. Not until she feels you tap. This ain't, this ain't a jujitsu tournament. This ain't you guys rolling in the gym for bragging rights. This is a fight for some fucking money. She's not going to take the chance of letting go just because she feels you start to tap. We've seen people game that system before. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's going to crank it until the referee says that will be all. Yeah. Jessica Rose Clark is a person uh, that I like a lot in the sport. She's super smart. And, uh, 
and super personable and, and super easy to like, but that does sound like Uriah Hall wrote that tweet for her or whoever, you know, wrote the same tweets, Uriah Hall and Jessica Rose Clark. I mean, and, I get hey, it. Man, You're sitting in the hospital with your arm in a sling. You, yeah, you're probably I mean, feeling some can... things about it, but like, you can't blame her for that. She didn't crank on it unnecessarily past the point where the referee stepped in. Yeah. Uh, and we should say, we talked about him earlier. We didn't bring this up. Max Holloway in, in Max Holloway style sent out a couple of funny and gracious tweets to Alexander Volkanovsky in his defeat. So we should we should point that out uh, as well. Should we go on to uh, just saying stuff? Let sure. Let me get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, you know what I learned this weekend? One of the things that I learned when we were uh, hobnobbing with the patrons over the What's weekend. What's that? Don't feel alone in this sport, man. If you're a person who loves MMA but is put off by a lot of the bullshit in the sport and you feel it getting you down and pushing you away, you have a hard time committing to it the way you once did because of all of this uh, disagreeable stuff that goes on. Don't feel isolated, man. Don't don't feel alone. Just know that there are people out there like you. There are good, nice, forward-thinking people in this sport. They may not be as loud as the bad or the dumb or the people who consider themselves edgy. But we're out there, man. We're carrying the fire. So reach out. Get connected. Find the people that uh, that you can identify with in this sport that you can connect with. Hell, man, join the Patreon if that makes sense to you. That is a shameless plug, by the way. But I am proud to say that we have a lot of those people in the co-main event podcast community. And hey, man, we get it. We've covered this sport for a long damn time. And sometimes it is hard not to look away because of, of the regrettable stuff that is said or happens in this sport. But just know you're not alone. There are people out there like you, no matter what. Uh, you know, walk a life you are. There are people out there just like you who are also MMA fans and you can get together with them and be the same kind of nerd. I'm just saying. Just saying. It's a lovely, lovely sentiment. I appreciate you saying it. I'm just saying, did you hear your guy Alex Wolkanovsky talk about what happened with the USADA situation before the second fight with Max Holloway? Interrupted his sleep cycle, I heard. Interrupted the man's sleep cycle, Chad. Here's the quote. Now I can say it because I went and done that to Max. That second fight with Max, when I tell you I didn't turn up, there's a few things that happened. You obviously don't know about USADA coming and waking me up four hours before I had to get up, which is ridiculous. Don't know how that happened, how that could happen. I'm over that. I ended up doing silly things as well. I took melatonin tablets thinking it was just silly and woke up like drunk. Not drunk, but not right either. So it was rough. It was rough. But I'm not the type of guy to make excuses. I'm telling you now because I got to shut everyone up. And now I'm telling this. I didn't turn up. Now he's going to believe that because of what I just did tonight. That's why I was so confident going to this one. I didn't turn up. He turned up. And he still couldn't beat me. Uh, And he, he... goes on to tell the story. I was halfway through my sleep. They woke us all up and said they were going to test you. Obviously, my coaches and management were like, what do you mean? What the hell? Obviously, I woke up during the night to piss, so I couldn't fill it up. I had to water load. The story goes on. I had to drink water so I could hurry up and piss so I could go to bed. Now you watch that second fight, it probably makes a little sense. Now I can say it. I waited until now to tell you the full story. Look what I did. I forced everything. If you watch that fight, I had no reactions. My reaction time was way off. I had no reaction, no pace. Everything was forced. I had to force everything, use my head to just force things to happen. But that's the type of guy I am. Even when things were against me, I still stood my ground and forced things and made it happen. Look, I'm just sort of glad it happened because it made me even stronger. Now, I'm just saying here, Chad, two things. One... If you do need to tell us your excuses about why you didn't do as well as you could have done, this is the way to do it. 
Wait until you get one more fight with the guy, beat his ass even way worse than that time, then go back retroactively and be like, but see, I did have an excuse for that other fight, which I also won. But And I wasn't going to say it then because you guys would have been dicks about it and thought I was just making excuses. But now since I did that this time in the follow-up fight, now I can tell you that is the way to do it if you have to do it at all. Second, I'm just saying, so you sort of got all this stuff where we're going to be out here tracking people's movements, all this stuff, knowing where they are at every possible hour of every possible day. But we can't know when the man's sleep cycle is. We can't be like, hey. What what time you think you're going to bed tonight? What time you think you're going to get up? We can't maybe just not interrupt him that particular night. We're going to wait a few more hours, let him get up naturally, and then be like, we're going to shoot him a message, and be like, hey, hit us up when you are when you're up, bro. We're gonna we're gonna send a you up text to Alexander Volkanovsky. Interrupt the man's sleep cycle. Yeah, just so we can go piss in a jar somewhere when we can do the damn same thing four hours later. After the sleep cycle is complete, I'm just saying, as someone who also hates having his sleep cycle interrupted, I don't blame him for being mad about that one. Yeah. Uh, do my kids work for USADA? Because they're interrupting my sleep cycle all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Now, the, see, the funny thing about this is that if this happened, it sounds like this happened like during fight week or like maybe even the night before the fight. Otherwise, yeah, I don't I know that's like, what, what he's what saying. This, what the sleep cycle the funny thing about that is the night before the fight, is actually one of the few times where you do know exactly where he's going to be. Yeah. Right? Like, if you're USADA trying to test the guy, this is one of the few times that you could actually wait for him to be up because mm-hmm. you could be like, well, we know he's going to walk out of this uh, hotel room. We know that he's in there. We know what, he, that what time he has to leave, and uh, we can catch him then. Rare opportunity, but no. That's what you could do. We got to interrupt the man's sleep cycle. Look, man, as a man of a certain age, I know how important the sleep cycle is. Too. Hell yeah. Doesn't, doesn't it feel like we just talked about earlier in the show, uh, Israel Adesanya, knowing that the door doesn't swing both ways, right? That like he would know if he went out there and went for broke and got knocked out that we wouldn't be like, thanks for the exciting game plan, Israel. And now you got uh, Volkanovsky waiting until after he beat Max Holloway again to give his excuses from the fight before. Kind of feels like the city kickboxing guy's got our number. Yep. Kind of feels like they know who we are. They've been paying attention. Yeah. So more more power to them for that. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks for everybody for tuning in. Ben Folks is about to go camping, so we won't hear from him again this week. But we'll be back next week uh, for another episode of The Proper. Wait, wait, hold on. Well, just, you know, one of the things is when you're actually in Vegas, you're very close to the fights, but you feel somewhat removed from the uh, from the MMA news cycle. But next weekend, we got Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Fiziev. So that's a banger right battle there between the, those two gentlemen. Battle of the Rafaels. That's right. There can only be you one. See, you hate to see two Rafaels fight each other. I don't love you? It. I love it. I love Rafael on Rafael violence. So we'll have that to break down what happens at that one on Monday. Thanks for listening, everybody. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. Honey lemon tea now. Okay. And, uh, soak my vocal cords in a, in a rehabilitative substance. Did I assume it's whiskey? That's whiskey, right? Honey lemon tea, a little dash of wild turkey in there. It's medicinal. At that yeah, point, medicinal you know? is the way to put it. That's that's how I would describe most of my alcohol consumption. Medicinal. Yeah. 
You come home from Vegas, most doctors advise you to throw a little whiskey in your tea. Yeah, well, I mean... Four out of five doctors. I know Sanders already had a pretty medicinal weekend, so... (laughs) I don't know. Got medicinal as fuck.